Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Dr. Ariane Missimer. Uh, she's a doctor of physical therapy, a registered dietitian, uh, in- inspirational speaker, educator, and author. She's a founder of the Movement Paradigm. It's an integrative health center focusing on mindset, nutrition, and movement, blending Eastern and Western philosophies. Uh, rooted in neuroscience, functional medicine, and movement science. So, uh, Ariane, thanks for coming. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much, Richard, for having me. Well, good. Um, what What was uh, a bit of your journey towards uh, creating the, the movement paradigm? Like, where did uh, you know maybe a little bit of how it started and some challenges you faced? Of course, yeah. So I actually went to school at University of Delaware. I went to school for nutrition. And I ended up doing my first fitness competition when I was 18 years old. So I did Miss Fitness America, Miss Figure USA. And I finished and I realized how unhealthy that journey was. I was working out hours a day. I was, you know, hardly eating anything, chicken six times a day with nothing else with it. And I kind of recognized that there has to be a better way to health than this. So that led me to opening up my personal training studio. So I was 22. And at the same time, my brother was actually diagnosed with cancer for the second time. And he was in hospice. And I was his physical therapist during that time. And I was, you know, kind of helping him. He lost function of his arm and leg. And um, sadly, he passed away. Uh, But I always say the, the greatest gift that he gave me was purpose. And I realized how how much that we should all cherish life. You know, I watched him fight for his <laughs> and, you know, I've realized that there's so much more to health and, and about, and really the whole person. So that really just kind of jump started my whole career and I've kind of been going ever since. <laughs> so I um, had my personal training studio for 13 years. Uh, during that time, I realized that I wanted to go back to school for physical therapy I realized that everyone was coming into a fitness setting with pain and injury. So I wanted to understand the rehabilitative side of things, not just the wellness piece of it. And shortly thereafter, I was diagnosed with cancer and I had stage three liposarcoma, which was a really rare and aggressive cancer. And I kind of realized at that point that, you know, I had been, I always kind of joke about this, but I had been training for it my whole life. (laughs) So I had, you know, been helping people with mindset, with nutrition and movement. And I felt like this was really putting me to the test. And so how how old were you at this time? So this was actually just four years ago. Okay. Go ahead. Keep going. Yeah. No. So four years ago. And I ended up training for American Ninja Warrior while I was in treatment. <laughs> As most people would do. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. And uh, after that, I competed on the show. Uh, so I had chemo, radiation, sparing surgery. And I, when I finished that journey, I 
was actually working. I had my business, but I was also working at a physical therapy practice, outpatient physical therapy practice. And I'd been there for eight years as well. And I realized that I wanted to make more of an impact on people, that I had all of these tools. I've spent my whole career in the health field and trying to gain further education that I really wanted to kind of go back to my dream, which was to have a multidisciplinary practice and with like-minded professionals and really help people get to the root of their problem. And that was really kind of what led me to make the big leap <laughs> and open up the movement paradigm. Um, so you said you were training for American Ninja Warrior and, you know, working as a physical therapist and you were having chemo and radiation and all that. Yes. How did you do that? Usually that's incredibly debilitating to people physically and mentally. So, I mean, are there strategies and things you know, you believe that that would, I mean, I guess you experienced that was enough to uh, make you able to do all those things while you were still going through that? Yeah, I just think, Richard, I, I really wanted to, I, I did what I, what I know. And that is, you know, once again, I, I learned so much from my brother, which is, to cherish life and cherish every second and the ability to move and the ability to eat well. And that's really what I did. I focused on a lot on mindfulness and breath work. I, you know, ate as well as I could. I did micronutrient testing to make sure I was getting in everything that I needed. And to me, movement has always been so healing. And uh, when I faced many challenges in life, I always resorted to that. So working and moving were things that gave me mental, emotional, and physical strength. I recognize it's not for everybody, nor do I, I nor would I want anybody else to, to necessarily do that. But I think you have to find what's important to you and what helps you to heal. And to me, that was what helped me heal. So what kind of uh, people do you work with now? And then, you know, I want to go into like, what's the protocol or the paradigm for them? Yeah. So I work with a lot of people that are coming in with a lot of chronic health conditions, whether they come in with chronic pain, for example, but then as we do their evaluation, realize that they have a whole host of other symptoms, conditions, or they're just coming in from that perspective and recognizing they have a lot of gut issues and potentially food issues, inflammation issues, and they're just really trying to figure out where to start kind of what's the first step on their journey. Okay. So yeah, what would be, I know it's different for everybody, but mm -hmm. what is the typical steps that uh, you put people through? Yep. So, so typically I have everyone do a very, very detailed intake form. So I have a male and female intake form, which is really more of a functional medicine based questionnaire. I will also have people do other questionnaires depending on what symptoms they've provided me with before I meet with them. But I have things for thyroid and yeast overgrowth and other you know, conditions that might be warranted. And then during the evaluation, I'm really trying to get an idea of their overall health. So, you know, how much are they sleeping? Are they getting good quality sleep? Do they exercise? Do, how many antibiotics have they taken in the past? What kinds of surgeries and, you know, other medical history, obviously? What, uh, how much stress are they undergoing? And then do they have a means to reduce their stress? And I, I, and then lastly is really all of the symptoms that they can check boxes for. And I think that's probably the part that 
people don't even realize that they have those issues until they see them <laughs> on paper and then realize, oh yes, I do have that. I do have allergies. I do have sinus issues. So then I really am looking at determining what the antecedents, triggers, and mediators are. So if, for example, someone has a family history of autoimmune disease, then that could be part of their antecedent, meaning that that could be something that could eventually trigger this person to have chronic health issues. Then the triggers oftentimes are stress, uh, but it could be just a life trigger. It could be a virus. It could be something like that, that really sets this person off on a path to feeling or not feeling well. And then whatever mediators there are, looking at what are the lifestyle type factors that are keeping something going. So do they have chronic stress? Do they have, you know, are they eating an inflammatory diet and so on? So that way I can, at the end of it, really determine, I'd like to say, what is the elephant in the room? So what do we think is the next step for, you know, it could be testing, of course, at some point, but it might just be something as simple as, you know, let's try to improve your sleep habits or, let me, let's kind of move forward with an elimination diet and prepare for that. So I try to make it simple and not overwhelming because I think functional medicine can be very overwhelming <laughs> for people and that causes more stress. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that, right. It, it definitely can be overwhelming and some people I'm sure are like ready whole hog to change stuff, but some people you have to baby step them. And then right. what have you noticed? What uh, what areas do people seem to be like, okay, I could do that. And what areas are people like, I don't know, you know, that are tough for them? I think the food issue is really tough for people. And I'm, you know, I'm a big believer in the elimination diet or a form of that just because most people are coming in with some type of inflammatory issue. So you know, whether they have skin issues or they're having, you know, bloating and kind of digestive issues, it's still going to fall under the category of chronic inflammation. So when I suggest an elimination diet, I definitely with a lot of people feel a ton of resistance and they'll say, I don't think I could ever do that. And I'll say, okay, well, that's all right. Why don't we just start with one or two things and also trying to increase some you know, overall nutrition as well. So instead of just eliminating, but also let's try to add a vegetable in. But I might suggest eliminating gluten and or dairy, especially if they're having a lot of inflammatory things. And I find a lot of resistance with that. <laughs> now they normally come around, but initially it's, it's very, it's, people are very emotionally tied to their food. <laughs> and uh, the second thing is stress. So I think that most people don't realize that they are under significant stress. They also don't realize the effect it has on their body. And I think they also have a really hard time kind of finding the things that give them, you know, that make them feel good, whether it's meditation or walking or nature. You know, I try to give people lots of options, but I think they definitely struggle with that because it's kind of almost at a I think when they're trying to admit that they have stress um, or that it's really bothering them and it's really affecting their health, I think that's the part that they're, they have a challenging time with. So, um, yeah. And then what about uh, the movement part of the equation? It's very important to you 
Mm-hmm. But um, do you find that other people are willing to do that or is that an area of big resistance? So that, I, you know, that kind of depends because I work with a lot of people that have had pain, that have chronic pain and mainly because they've been to so many professionals and they, you know, they'll come in and say, well, PT didn't work or chiropractors didn't work. And, you know, and I always think right away that, and sometimes I say this, that it's not that it didn't work. It's just that you your body wasn't in the right place to receive treatment at the right time. (laughs) You know, it wasn't necessarily the tool didn't work or the technique didn't work. It's just that it wasn't the right fit or someone has had significant fear avoidance of movement. And so that is definitely a challenge is that, you know, people are afraid to, they don't know what to do and they're afraid it's going to cause pain. So they kind of keep moving less and less, sitting more and more, which are all the things that of course make things worse. So I'm always encouraging movement. (laughs) And, you know, I, sometimes I start with, let's just try walking. Today I had a client and I said, because he's not exercising at all. And I said, can you try to walk 15 minutes one time a week? And he said, yeah, I think I could do that. I said, perfect. So that's a great start. And, you know, we'll just kind of go from there. And so I think it can be so simple, but I do think, yes, you're, you're absolutely right. There is definitely some resistance in moving more or moving with integrity, moving with high quality. Yeah. I remember feeling that myself a number of years ago, like, uh, I'd reach for something and sometimes I'd like hurt my shoulder, you know, or I remember being afraid of stupid things like, you know, I don't want to sweat a lot and be uncomfortable or, you know, what if I do wake up and I can't move my back or that kind of stuff. So Mm -hmm. is it pervasive that you've seen the resistance or fear of movement or is it just only in certain people? No, I, I see it quite a bit. I see it quite a bit. I mean, I kind of have two, I would say two groups of people. I have some people that, do not tune into their body at all. And so they can just sort of push through everything. But those are the people that end up having way more issues. (laughs) So I'm always trying to slow them down, allow them to kind of tune into their body, really, you know, be mindful of what's happening. And then the others that have the chronic pain are sometimes so in tune with their pain that they are, you know, they do limit their movement and and really restrict things. And obviously from a pain neuroscience perspective, it's not actual pain. It's their brain's perception of the pain, especially if they've they've had it for over three months. Do you um, have patients that say, oh, you know, that's what happens when you get old or I'm just old? What do you ask? (laughs) Yes. And I always get mad. (laughs) I said, that is not true. I said, that is just, I said, age is just a number. I said, you do not need to feel that way. You can feel, you can feel great at any age. I think people, you know, I, I think just when you asked earlier a misconception, I definitely think that that is one that people think that, you know, just because they're older, they should not be able to do the things they wanted to do and, or they want to do, excuse me. And I, I always share that with people that, you know, my goal is to help you to be able to do the things you want to do when you want to do them and not have pain. So what's, uh, the, what's the average age or circumstance of, uh, like, like, who's your customer avatar typically? More men or women or certain age ranges or conditions? Uh, so it's about, it's about equal men and women. And it, on average, it's about 40 to 60 years old. And because I do have a a cash-based practice that is, you know, typically my, my average demographic and they're, because they're not using insurance or Medicare. So 
It's typically an active, I would say active in life population. <laughs> um, you know, not necessarily sitting on the couch all day, but, you know, pretty active in life, but are, are dealing with a lot of issues and for a lot of different reasons. Sometimes it's really, really stress-driven. Sometimes it's, they've had, you know, a really just poor history with a ton of antibiotics and things like that. So it's really kind of all over the map in terms of the reasons that they're having issues. Well, what are some of the, the most common issues you see that people are experiencing? Yep. So I see, um, I definitely see a lot of uh, SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. I see a lot of uh, yeast overgrowth. Uh, I've also um, seen a lot of different, a ton of food sensitivities and intolerances. Um, so a lot of people have like histamine intolerance that can cause like significant pain and neurological responses. So I've seen a, a really a lot of different aspects of that. But, you know, I always like to say that regardless of what it is, it's still an inflammatory issue. So I was, you know, and I'll explain that to my parent, to my patients as well, that, you know, 75 to 90% of all human disease is linked to inflammation. So regardless of what the symptoms that they're having at the end of the day, it's still an inflammation issue. So it's figuring out, is it food? Is it bugs like parasites or ticks? Is it toxins, trauma? Is it hormones that are driving that? Uh, but those are some of the common things that I do see. Do people experience the actual inflammation itself, meaning that they say, like, I feel inflamed, or after you help them, they're like, oh, wow, you know, I, I feel less inflamed, or is it always like uh, they always express it in a different way, like, you know, I don't have pain now, or I don't feel restricted, or that kinds of things. Like, do you think people have a, a visceral feeling of what inflammation is? Uh, I think I think more and more people do. I, I I actually do think that. I think more people are aware of it. I think they're re, you know I've done a ton of videos on on things like that. So I think people are definitely more aware, but they might describe it in a different way. So I just to give an example. So the the other day I did an evaluation, and she had palpable and visible inflammation everywhere. So her ankles, you know, you could palpate all of the the inflammation. And meanwhile, she's coming in for her knee because she has knee pain, but I could not mechanically reproduce any of her knee pain. So as I'm, you know, doing her whole history, I realized she's got a ton of digestive issues and she had a, an enormous amount of stress for most of her life. So there was all these, th you know, inflammatory mediators that were probably triggering it. I don't know. I haven't investigated just yet. I'm going to have her do some testing. But that would kind of be the next step is to figure out what exactly is going on with her because it's not a knee issue at all. It's an inflammatory issue. And then we just have to figure out what that is. So what's the progression like for someone that you start working with, you know, over the first week or month or X number of months? What is it um what do they typically experience? So I typically work with people once a week and, and depending on if it's just purely for nutrition, I might work with them every two weeks, but on average once a week. And my goal is each week to make at least one to two small changes. It depends on the person, of course. And my goal is always to meet someone where they are. I think that they you know, patients deserve that, you know, deserve to be listened to and deserve to just kind of go at a pace that feels comfortable to them. So I really try to ask questions and see where they are. With that said, you know, my goal is to, when I 
after the evaluation to really figure out what's the elephant in the room, what's going to make the biggest change and kind of give the biggest bang for the buck right away. So it might be, let's just try taking out gluten and dairy or, you know, so it might be gluten for the first week. And then maybe if they get that down, then it could move on to dairy or it could take them a whole month or six weeks or even two months to eliminate gluten because they're resistant to it. So it, it really does depend on the person, but normally in about, uh, my goal is four to six sessions for most people. So really in about six weeks, most people are feeling uh, significantly better. Um, whether it's, you know, I've, I've integrated some mindfulness work into their program or movement or the, of course, the nutrition piece of it. But most people um, do really well. I've had some patients that, you know, have come in with chronic pain, numerous like rounds of antibiotic surgeries. They've had like a yeast overgrowth. And then after doing a specific protocol, do not have pain. One, one of my clients has lost up to 45 pounds at this point, uh, just kind of continued her journey. I've had people that have, you know, had all these cardiometabolic factors, stress, pain, and then again, with kind of all of those little changes have been able to, you know, feel so much better, decrease their numbers, decrease stress levels, and got rid of pain. Maybe you should tell people uh, you're a local elephant hunter. That might work. They might think you're crazy if you say there's an elephant in this room. Right. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, okay so um after the you know four to six weeks then you know what happens you follow up with them once a month or people say you know hey i feel good now thanks bye have a nice life <laughs> now i i try my goal with my patients i i always say is i want to be a resource to them for life so my goal is that they always i i I guess I should say that when we finish, we'll say the, the initial part that they know that they can reach out to me at any time. And most people do. So, you know, I'll say, if you hurt your neck one day, call me and I'll get you in within a half hour, you know, or if you feel like you get a little off track with the nutrition aspect, you know, just like, let's do a, you know, do a recap. We can do a session and just make sure you you stay on a good path. So most of my patients, I'd say the majority are, always do that. <laughs> they always kind of continue the relationship and come back when they need it. And, you know, I try to make sure that I provide them with a ton of educational content so that they, you know, they know that they can come to me at any point. I know. That's great. Have you, have you ever, um, if, if you feel like, or if you think someone's listening to you, has anyone ever not experienced benefit or is it as long as they listen? Yes. So is that, that's probably the key part. So I've had, I definitely have had my my fair share of of complicated cases. I just had a PT student and she she laughed because she said, "Wow, she said pretty much everyone that comes in is really complicated." And I said, "Yes, yes they are." So I definitely have, and I would say some of those people I think need more testing, but they're also the people that are resistant to kind of going down that whole path. So you know, so I just kind of respect like where, where they are and, you know, from that perspective, but they, cause I think with functional medicine and I've been a patient for functional medicine. So I recognize 
very clearly that it can be very overwhelming (laughs) and it can be very, very expensive. So I am trying to, in my little small part of the world, trying to be a little bit different and, and really just make sure that I'm not making that process more stressful for somebody and just making sure that you know, when they get to a point when they're ready that I can say, you know what, I think this would be a good test. Maybe you can speak to your doctor about this, you know, to try to help them. But those are the people that I would say do well, like they might make a lot of really positive changes, but they might not get to where I personally would like them to be. (laughs) How do you interact with people as doctors or other healthcare providers? Is there a you know, like a tug of war or do you talk to them or what's like the best way to handle it? That's a great question. And I'm still working on that. It's been a little bit of a challenge because I typically am kind of going through the patient and I've been, you know, I'll ask for specific blood work or, or testing and I'll ask the patient to really explain to their doctor all the things that they've shared with me, all the different symptoms and, you know, what they've kind of been experiencing And a lot of times the doctors will not order the test. So pretty consistently, (laughs) there's been some recently that I've kind of figured out a way to go about it, which is if I have them do questionnaires. So for example, if I have them do a a candida questionnaire, then if it shows that the yeast overgrowth is probably present, then that could warrant a, the testing for specific antibodies for that. So I've been having them take the questionnaire in and that way the doctor can see all of the symptoms that they've checked and that has been helping. So I'm kind of trying to just shift, <laughs> shift my, um, my process a little bit as well. What's the difference between a nutritionist and a dietitian? So... Anyone can call themselves a nutritionist, but you can't call yourself a dietitian. So a dietitian would be a licensed dietitian. So we call it a registered dietitian nutritionist, and you would have to have taken your RD exam, your licensure exam, and of course passed. So, and then you would have, you would be licensed in the state that you are working. But nutritionist, unfortunately, many people call themselves a nutritionist (laughs) and aren't necessarily licensed to do that okay so, so a dietitian is the is the more formal uh, uh, okay i see what you mean registered type thing right correct correct and so okay. it's tough because there's so many nutrition coaches and things like that but that's something you could do in a weekend <laughs> course and then be helping people with nutrition which I think on a very basic level you know that's there's not too much concern but most people have a lot of health issues when you really start digging deep so I think that's when you really No, have that's to- good. That's good to know. I, I didn't know that difference. So that's what I was wondering because I hear those terms, you know, all the times. Now it makes right. more sense. Right. And so I could call myself a nutritionist, right? But which, which would be, you know, accurate, but someone else could do that as well who doesn't have a license. Mm, okay. And then in terms of the testing, you mentioned way early on, like micronutrient testing. And what, what are some of the, um, the tests that you find asking clients to get all the time and then- where, where do they get them? Like, I know it depends where they live, but what kind of places would do it for them? Yeah. So the, so some of the testing, like for example, the micronutrient testing, so that can, can be something there are some companies that allow you to order the test and then you can take it to a lab. So every state is a little different. There's different, you know, of course there's uh, different legalities with it, but that is one option. And 
if I can have people go through their doctor, that's always better because then insurance could cover it. So I'm always trying that route. And the other thing I always, well, frequently recommend is a stool sample, but it's a comprehensive stool panel. And that's something that ideally the GI doctor could, could do, but typically they'll do just a standard stool panel, which doesn't really show as much. And then I typically do a lot of uh, different blood work. And then there's other things where they could do hormone panels. Once again, if the doctor wouldn't prescribe it or look at certain panel, certain things, then you could have them do that as well. But a lot of the, um, like the, the large you know, national lab chains can do most or all this testing, or do you have to go to specialized places? No. So that most of them can do it is what happens is they'll send you. So some of these companies will send you the test. So whatever the test is, and then you take it to the lab. And then, so you could take it to your quest or, you know, your lab that you would go to, and then they'll do the test there. Oh, okay. Okay. I got it. All mm-hmm. right. That's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yep. Interesting. So, um, well, where, so you said you're local, but where are you local to? I, I didn't ask you. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. I'm in Downingtown, Pennsylvania. Where is someone's, uh, you know, another state? Uh, are you able to work with them or you know, how would you do that? Yes, I sure can. So I do online sessions for anybody that that is interested. And, you know, sometimes I can consult with people or if it's more, you know, specific to nutrition or movement or more of the physical therapy route, um, I can still do that. Obviously with physical therapy, the only thing I can't do online is be able to, to touch them, but I can guide them through different movements and things like that to make sure that I'm looking at everything. Oh, that's good. And then, um, in terms of uh, cancer, I know you've you know wrestled with it. And mm-hmm. Your family has too. Do you work with people that have cancer? And, and I know you can't promise cures, but are you able to work with people like that? And if so, you know what does that look like? So I do. I I would say that I do more of my programming. For example, I have a cancer retreat that I offer. You know, offer locally. I offer offer in my center. I do a lot of different programs targeting cancer patients and survivors. I don't have a large population of that as my patient population, but I do work with some. I have uh, one person right now who's got metastatic breast cancer. So um, a lot of times they're coming to me after they finish their treatment and they're looking to kind of figure out what to do and how to do it. And that's kind of when I'll just guide them on, you know, you know, in the next few months, maybe make this change. And then in the next few months, try to do this, you know, just to try once again, not to make it overwhelming. Because I think when you have cancer and you weren't healthy before (laughs) or didn't have all the, you know, all the, the right habits, then it's really overwhelming because you think, oh my gosh, I have to change all of these things at one time, you know, in order to save my life. And for me personally, I was already doing all of those things and I still got cancer. So, you know, it's just the way way life works. (laughs) I don't, you know, you don't have to answer if you don't want to, but I mean, were you able to make um, a a huge difference in your situation and you feel like that, uh, I don't know, going forward, are you going to be, you think you've been able to, to hold your cancer at bay or I don't know, any comments on your own situation? Of course. It's up yeah. to you. No, no, absolutely. That's no worries because that's honestly a big part, I think, of, of my journey, you know, and, and also helping other people is since treatment, I've had significant, significant gut issues and uh, hormone issues. So from specifically from the chemotherapy, and then I had eight rounds of antibiotics in one year. 
So I've been working tirelessly at really trying to rebuild my system. And, you know, I've kind of gone from or I guess you could say almost the peak of my fitness at, at American Ninja Warrior, which which was kind of a little bit masked because I was feeling like crap, <laughs> but I was also the strongest I ever was at the same time. <laughs> it's hard to imagine that. Um, but after that, I really just started to feel, I really didn't feel well. I felt like I was exhausted. I couldn't really work out. I couldn't, I was having a hard time concentrating. And then I figured out that I had all these issues, leaky gut and SIBO, and I was, wasn't absorbing any nutrients. <laughs> so I was malabsorption of just about everything. So uh, to answer your question more specifically is I'm doing everything I can <laughs> to try to prevent it. But, you know, I can only do so much and I literally am doing everything that I can. <laughs> oh, wow. So I, I always say that, you know, my goal is to, God forbid I get it again, that I'm strong and healthy enough to fight it again, you know? Well, I would think that you came through it and you probably surprised your doctors, I would guess, like yes. out of your cohort or whatever they want to call you, you know, I yeah. think you fared far better than most, right? Yes. Yeah. I was the, I was the face of Penn medicine for a while. <laughs> um, I had, they have my picture hanging up. I was on the commercial and yes, I, my doctor said, you know, you really taught me a lot about, you know, being active during treatment because he told me, which we laugh about today is he, he said, maybe you should try Pilates. And I, I, I laughed. And then I said, do you want to see my American Ninja Warrior submission video? <laughs> And, and then he's like, "Oh my gosh, you've been doing all this!" So oh, that's we, cool. That's cool. Yeah, we had a good laugh about it. Well, Ariane, so okay, what's the best way for people listening to uh, to reach? Yes, um, so my website is www.themovementparadigm.com, um, and you could also find me on YouTube at Ariane Missimer and at Facebook and Instagram on or at the Movement Paradigm. Okay, very good. Well, Ariane, thank you for coming on the call. I appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much. Have a great day. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.